All right, brothers and sisters, it's time to open up God's Word together. And if you will, turn with me once again to Ephesians chapter 6. In your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 6, as usual, the main text of our sermon will not be up on the screens behind me. I do that intentionally to try to force us to look at it in our own Bibles. I think it'll be most helpful if you look at it in your own copy of Scripture, even if you don't have one. There's a Bible on the pew in front of you that you can look at, and we will be referring back to that text time and time again during the sermon. Ephesians 6, we're going to start here in just a moment at verse 18. Now, last week we talked about the armor of God, and if you remember, we saw how the armor of God has one piece that is kind of different from all of the others. You remember which one it was? Verse 17 says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so while all the the armor pieces are protective in some way, the sword of the Spirit is the only offensive weapon we saw, and so it's a little bit different than all the others. But there is another piece of gear that the Lord has given us in this spiritual war that we are in. An essential piece of gear for this war, for fighting it, and for being effective in it. John Piper famously calls prayer a wartime walkie-talkie that connects us to the general of our army. But, he says, we have turned it into a domestic intercom by which we ring up a servant to bring us another cushion in our den. That is not what prayer is. It's a wartime, walkie-talkie, connecting us to our general, the general of this army, the general who is winning this war, and the general who is directing us in it. We are his soldiers on the ground. and We need air support. We need direction on the battlefield. We need supplies. And we need encouragement to press on and to not give up. Prayer connects us to the general in this spiritual war that we are fighting. Let's read our text today. Ephesians 6, I'm going to read verses 18 through 20. This is God's word through the Apostle Paul. At verse 18, he writes, and again, he's, I want to say he's coming in in the middle of a sentence here, at least in the way the ESV translates it. And in verse 18, he says, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. I want to first turn your attention to verse 18 and to four alls in verse 18. Four alls of prayer in verse 18. All of them come in verse 18. Four times he uses that word all. We're going to look at each in turn briefly. Four times. The first one comes right at the beginning. Paul is telling us to pray at all times. Pray at all times. I don't know about you, but this immediately reminded me of 1 Thessalonians 5.17, which very shortly says, pray without ceasing. 
Right? Paul says that in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray without ceasing. Pray at all times. But does that mean that we need to spend every second of every day in prayer? And every time we're not, we're somehow disobeying the Lord or falling short of his goal for us. That is not what Paul is saying. It does not mean pray every second of every day. But what it does mean is that you always have prayer. And that we should always remain in a spirit of prayer, a spirit of dependence upon God as we go about our day, no matter what we are doing. That is what Paul wants for us. That is what God wants for us. We should have a spirit of prayer and dependence upon God in everything that we do. As you go throughout your day, constantly, constantly throw up prayers to the Father. Constantly, no matter what you are doing, no matter what you're about to do. We should be throwing up prayers constantly to the Father. And so, you're facing a big decision. You pray, God, give me wisdom. You're facing temptation. God, give me the strength to resist. Are you about to read the Bible? God, give me understanding. Are you getting angry or impatient? Pray, God, give me peace. Did you just see something on the TV or on your phone that you shouldn't have seen? God, forgive me and wipe my mind and my memory clean of that image. You see a sunset where the colors and the clouds are just amazing. You pray, God, you are awesome and glorious. Or perhaps you're about to eat lunch. You pray, God, thank you for this food. And thank you for taking care of my every need. You see, we're we're constantly, constantly throwing up prayers to God. No matter where we're at, no matter what we're doing, no matter what situation we're in. We should create, slowly but surely, we should cultivate, I should say, a mindset and a heart disposition that is constantly depending on God. Constantly aware of his presence and of his listening ear at all times. You always have prayer, brothers and sisters. You always have prayer. You always have have a connection to the Father, or we could say a connection to the general of our army as we fight this war, this fight of faith. Pray it at all times, in all kinds of different situations and circumstances. It's a never-ending thing. Now, let me say this. This does not mean that these short, in-the-moment prayers are to be the full extent of your prayer life. Every now and then I'll talk to someone about their spiritual life. And I'll, I'll say, how's your walk with the Lord? And they'll say, well, well I, I pray. I pray all the time. But as you talk more and more, you, you find out the only prayers that they give are those short prayers when, when they're in the moment and they feel like they need God. Those are good. Those are lifelines. Those are supposed to be in the life of a Christian. But every believer who is pursuing God should seek to spend regular time, regular chunks of time where you're alone with God. Seeking him in prayer. We should all have regular times where we get alone with God. Seeking him through prayer and through Bible reading. Remember Jesus. If you study the life of Jesus in the Gospels, you will see that he often withdrew to solitary places so that he could pray alone with the Father for big spans of time. And if Jesus, the the strongest person who has ever walked the earth spiritually... If Jesus needed that, how much more do we need that? 
Have a time regularly where you get alone with God and pray to him and commune with him. And so we should, we should be praying at all times, not just in, in a, a quiet time that we have in the mornings or in the evenings or something like that, but at all times, all situations, pray at all times, Paul says. But then after that he says, pray with all prayer and supplication. Pray with all prayer and supplication. Now this might confuse you on multiple levels. I know it did me the first time I read it. All right, first of all, what does supplication mean? I mean, how many of us use that word in our everyday conversations? Supplication. Now, supplication simply means earnestly seeking and asking for something. Begging, pleading with earnestness. That's what supplication means. We're asking God for things. Okay, so don't get tripped up on that word. It'll use it again at the end of verse 18, supplication. It just means asking God for things. But second, I think what what needs a little bit more explanation is that Paul says that we are to pray... With all prayer. Do you see how he says that? Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer. Is he being unnecessarily repetitive here? What does he mean praying with all prayer? Well, it means that we should put our whole selves into prayer. We should put our heart into our prayers. Pray with heartfelt, fervent pleading when you pray. Interestingly, in James 5.17, we read that Elijah prayed earnestly. But in the marginal notes of the King James Version, it says that Elijah prayed in his praying. He prayed in his praying. Much like what Paul is saying here. What does that mean? It means he truly prayed. He prayed with a fervent and earnest heart. He put his whole self into his prayer. That's what Paul's calling us to do. When we pray, don't just pray flippantly. Don't just pray nonchalantly. Don't just throw up words to the Father. Pray from the heart. Pray with sincerity and earnestness. Put your whole self into it. Do you remember Hannah in 1 Samuel 1? And she's praying to the Lord to open her womb. She's barren. She's infertile. She can't have kids. And she's praying for God. God, give me a miracle. Give me, give me a child. Would you grant me that wonderful gift? And as she's praying, the high priest, Eli, sees her and comes up to her. He actually sees her with with her eyes closed and her mouth moving, but no sounds coming out of her mouth. And he asks her what she's doing, and she tells him, I was pouring out my soul before the Lord. That's prayer. That's praying with all prayer, pouring out our souls before the Lord. Prayer is a wonderful gift. But we misuse it when we just do it flippantly, nonchalantly, surface level. Pray with all prayer. Now next, notice in verse 18, he says, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Keep alert with all perseverance. Now I want to stop for just a moment on that keep alert phrase right there. Keeping alert. Because that means a couple things that we don't need to miss. Number one, it means be watchful. Keep alert and be watchful spiritually. Let me show you the the parallel verse in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. We've said a number of times as we've gone through the book of Ephesians that Ephesians and Colossians go together. If you read Ephesians and Colossians, you're going to notice so many similar things that Paul wrote to both of those places. It's almost like he wrote both letters and sent them out in different directions at the same time. There's so much similarities. Colossians goes along with Ephesians, so Colossians often helps us understand Ephesians. Colossians 4 verse 2 says this, 
Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Being watchful, keeping alert in Ephesians. So the the picture is this. Always be watching, always be alert for the ways that God might be answering your prayers. Don't just pray, watch for answers. Watch for him to answer. I guarantee you so many of us have prayed prayers in our lifetimes and the Lord has answered those prayers and we missed it. We totally missed it and he gave us what we asked for. He answered the prayer and we just missed it because we weren't having a spirit of watchfulness. We weren't keeping alert, watching for what he might do in response to our prayers. Keeping alert means staying ready. Staying ready, not just for God's answers to prayers, But as we pray and as we live this Christian life and fight this fight of faith connected to the general, we stay ready for opportunities to do God's will. We stay ready. We watch for them. When are they going to show up? Many times they're unplanned. We stay ready for opportunities to do God's will. And we stay ready, brothers and sisters, we stay ready for the return of Christ. Ready. Keep alert. Ready for the return of Christ. Are you ready? Are you ready for the return of Christ? If Jesus came back today, would you be excited beyond measure? Would you be fearful? Would you be sad? Are you ready for the return of Christ? He says, keep alert with all perseverance. All perseverance, what's that mean? Perseverance means keep going. Don't give up. Keep holding on to Jesus. We're studying Revelation in my Sunday school class. If you remember, those first few chapters go over the letters to the seven churches. And at the end of every single one of them, Jesus says, to the one who conquers, I will give. And then he makes a promise, right? To the one who conquers. But what does that mean, conquer? Well, as you study Revelation, you realize all it means is to the one who keeps holding on to Jesus and doesn't let go until the end. That's what we want. In fact, I've said it before and I'll say it a number of times after this. What a church really is, is a a bunch of people helping one another hold on to Jesus until you can finally let go and rest in him. Helping one another not give up. Don't give up. That's what we're here for. That's why we're here together. That's why we don't just do church on our own. We're here to help one another and encourage one another. Don't give up. Hold on to Jesus. This life is short. I know it seems like it's long, but it's short. Hold on a little longer. And then you'll be able to let go and rest in Christ for all eternity. One of the the, the most important ministries that you guys do to one another, that we do to one another, is helping people during the season of life where they're dying. Helping people get through that season of life where they're transitioning out of this life. And one of the things that we're doing in that season is we're encouraging one another in a hundred different ways. Hold on. Hold on to Jesus. Don't give up. Don't give up now. You've held on for so long. Don't give up now. It's about to happen for you. You're about to have your reward. Hold on just a little longer and you'll see him. Hold on just a little longer and you'll have rest. Hold on just a little longer and it'll be paradise. Hold on to Jesus. That's what all perseverance means. We're not letting go. We're not giving up and we're helping one another to keep holding on. And then finally, the fourth all in verse 18, he says, making supplication for all the saints, petitioning the Lord, petitioning God's throne for all 
the saints. Now, of course, just like praying at all times doesn't mean every second of every day, this does not mean you pray for every single individual Christian everywhere, all the saints, right? doesn't mean you have that burden on you to pray for every Christian in the whole world, but at the very least, it does mean this, that we're praying for one another, that you pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ in your church family, right? God is expecting us. I am expecting you to be praying for one another. How are you praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Let me ask you this. Are you in the lives of any of your brothers and sisters in Christ here at church enough to know how they need you to pray for them? Are you in the lives of one another enough? Not everybody, of course, but are you in the lives of anyone enough to know how they need you to pray for them? Or turn it around. Does anyone in this church know enough about you to know how you need them to pray for you? Are you letting anyone into your life like that? This is one of the reasons I would encourage you to be a part of our Wednesday night Bible study and prayer time. Because part of our Wednesday night study and meeting together is sharing prayer requests with one another and then learning how we need to be praying. And as we share prayer requests on Wednesday nights, let me tell you, it's not just time to pray for those things right then and there. Everybody's got pencil and paper out. We're writing things down and we're like, okay, this is what I'm going to be praying for this week. This is what I need to be praying for tomorrow. That person's got surgery on Friday. I'm going to be praying on Friday morning and Thursday night. That person's got this coming up. I've got to be praying for that. And that person needs prayer a little bit every day. I'm going to be praying for them. Right? I'd encourage you to, to show up at these things and to learn. What are my brothers and sisters in Christ going through? How can I be praying for all the saints as this talks about? Now we need to move on to verses 19 and 20, where Paul says, And pray also for me. Pray also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. You see, Paul was a traveling church planter. He was a traveling church planter. He was a constant evangelist. And he asks the Ephesian believers that he's writing to, he sends this letter out to Ephesus, and he says, will you all pray for me? He helped start this church, and he's asking them to pray for him in his gospel work. So one implication of this for us means that we need to be praying for those who give their lives to evangelism and proclaiming God's word. We need to be praying for those people. And so, for example, we need to be, as church members, we need to be praying for our missionaries that we support here at church. We need to be praying for our missionaries that we support. When you give to the offering regularly here at Columbia Christian, part of that offering always goes to the missions team. And our missions team chooses all kinds of missionaries and missions organizations that we support as a church. We send them money, but we need to be sending them prayers We need to be praying for them that the gospel would go forth in their context, in their geographical areas, that the gospel would go forth unhindered. We need to be praying for these folks that God would orchestrate providentially in his sovereignty. He would orchestrate meetings with the right people so that they could get around the right people and then share the good news of the gospel so that people could be saved. We need to be praying that those missionaries and mission organizations have all the materials and all the money that they need to do their gospel work. And so another question that I'd ask you is, do you know anything about the missionaries that we support as a church? If not, how are you going to pray for them? Or if you're, if you're visiting, if you've got another church that you're a part of, do you know about the ones that your church supports? 
For example, here on Sunday nights, we regularly give updates on our missionaries and our missions organizations that we support. We're going to do one tonight. One of our missions organizations. You can come hear how you can best pray for one of the organizations that the money that you give goes to support. But let's say you think, hey, John, I just can't come regularly on Sunday nights. That's okay. You can see me. You can see Bob Fishback. Bob, would you raise your hand, actually, just real high? Bob's sitting right up here in the front. Bob's the head of our missions team. You can say, hey, Bob, I can't be here on Sunday nights, but could you give me some information on some of our missionaries? Or I could do the same. And then you could go home and be praying for those people. But it's not just that. There's some other implications here, too. And here's one that's honestly a little bit hard for me to say, but it probably shouldn't be. Pray for me. Would you guys pray for me as a minister, as your minister? I desperately need it. Paul is not ashamed to ask the Ephesian believers to pray for him. I need you to pray for me. It's my job to serve you all and pastor you all and lead you to God. And it is an absolute privilege to be able to do that full time because of the support that you all give me. An absolute privilege. There are so many men out there around the world who are pastoring a church and preaching at a church, but they have to go work another 40-hour-a-week job to do so. It is an absolute blessing to be able to give myself full-time to this work. But when you really boil it down, really what my job is, is to abide in Christ, to remain close to God, to fill myself up, and then to pour that back out to you. That's really my job. But I'm a human being. I've got flesh and weaknesses, and Satan is cunning and looking to bring down churches in whatever ways that he can. Long time ago, Charles Spurgeon, perhaps the greatest preacher the Church of Jesus Christ has ever seen outside the first century, definitely the greatest preacher the church has seen in Victorian England, he was once asked, how are you so effective as a preacher and pastor? And he answered very simply, my people pray for me. My people pray for me. And so please pray for me. I ask that you would. In praying for me, you are praying for this church as a whole. Pray that I would not fall into any kind of moral failure. Pray that I would have physical health and energy. Pray that I would never give a black eye to the gospel. Pray that I would care for my family well and not sacrifice them on the altar of ministry. Pray that God would protect me from the attacks of Satan. Pray that I would know the Lord and pursue him with all my heart. And pray that I would not be prideful or self-seeking in the way I minister to you. And if you are visiting from another church, if you are listening to this perhaps online later, pray for your pastor in these ways. For he desperately needs it. Now, you might get to the point now where you're starting to say, John, this is a whole lot of prayer that we're having to do. A whole lot of prayer that you're asking us to to give and to spend time on. Yeah, it is. It is. But for Christians, prayer and Bible reading are to be the lifeblood of every believer. Prayer and Bible reading. Prayer and Bible reading. Prayer and Bible reading. Those two things are our lifeblood as believers. There's a well-known Christian book that came out a while back, and I haven't even read this book, but the title has always stuck with me. It's called Too Busy Not to Pray. Too Busy Not to Pray. You might say, I I don't know if I have time to pray like this. And 
I might say back to you, I don't know if you have time not to. I don't know if, if you can afford not to. You're so busy, well, that all the more reason for a robust prayer life. When we don't pray, it means we're not depending on the Lord. Think about our lives. Think about what happens when you go through, through suffering. What happens to your prayer life when you go through suffering? You pray more. You do. Why? Because you feel your need for God more. But is your need for God really any less when you are not suffering? Is our need for God, our dependence on him, really any less when we are not going through suffering? I want you to know that I pray for you in this way. Not just in the pastoral prayer 20 minutes ago or however long it was. I pray for you in this way. Notice what Paul's saying. Pray also for me, verse 19, that words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, Pray that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. I'm praying for you in that way. Because you are missionaries. And you are ministers. And you are proclaimers of the gospel. You became one when you signed up to follow Jesus. Did you know that? You became one. As you go out into the community, as you go out into your workplace, as you go out into your schools, you are missionaries. You are ministers. And you are proclaimers of the gospel. And let me tell you, it is much harder for you to be bold, like Paul is saying, than it is for me. It's harder for you than it is for me. If I am bold for the truth of the gospel, like Paul is saying, everybody's going to be like, yeah, that's that's what he should do. And in a church like this, I don't risk my job when I speak boldly for the gospel. And I'm so thankful for that. In a church like this. Maybe in another church I would, but in a church like this, I don't. I don't risk my job when I speak boldly for the gospel, thanks to you all and your commitment to the truth and your willingness to receive it with joy and humility. But many of you do risk your jobs if you speak boldly for the gospel. For many of you, it's a risk that I don't have to take. What happens when your work gives you a mandatory training on inclusion and acceptance of LGBT lifestyles? And you are required to agree with the training. What do you do? I'm praying that God would give you words as you open your mouth to boldly stand up for the gospel. What happens when you have a coworker or a patient or a student who is biologically female, but they identify as male and they are demanding that you address them and treat them as such? I am praying. That God would give you the boldness and the words to speak the truth in love and stand up for the gospel and the truth of God's word. What happens when your employer hands out gay pride apparel and says, all employees are going to wear this next week? Are you ready to be bold for Christ if it's going to cost you your job? I don't risk my job if I speak boldly on these things. Some of you may have to. I'm praying this for you. What happens when your son or daughter or your sibling or your cousin says, I am gay. And if you don't celebrate and affirm my lifestyle, you don't love me. What do you do then? 
Notice in verse 20 how Paul says, I am an ambassador where? How? In chains. He's in prison. Why is he in prison? For the work of the gospel. He's in prison because of boldly proclaiming the gospel. And notice that Paul doesn't write to the Ephesian believers and say, pray that God gets me out of here. He didn't even say that. He says, pray that God gives me boldness to speak. If you read the book of Philippians, you will see. Chapter 1, he says, it's become clear to the whole guard that I am in chains for Christ. Why? Because he wouldn't shut up about it. He won't stop talking about Christ. Everyone knows. And at the end of Philippians, he says, there are those of Caesar's household that send you greetings in the Lord. He converted people in Caesar's household. He converts the guards. He converts Caesar's household. He can't stop converting people. And it's not only because he is bold and he won't stop talking. It's because people are praying for that. People are praying for him that the word would go boldly from his mouth and he would proclaim the mystery of the gospel and people are getting saved. I'm praying that for you. Pray that for me. Let's pray that for our missionaries. Let's pray that for one another. That the gospel would go forth from our mouths boldly, unhindered, and would do its work in the hearts of those who hear. What's the gospel and the word of God doing in your heart this morning as you hear? That's what we're going to spend a few moments right now praying about. We're going to spend just a few moments in prayer. We do this every week here at Columbia Christian. We give a time of silent prayer after the sermon so that all of us can respond to the word that God just laid on our hearts. So that's what this is for. It's a time to pray. We're asking that you go to God and you deal with him and you respond to whatever he's laid on your heart through his word. And after we do that for a few moments, we're going to come back. We're going to have an invitation time where we invite those who might need to respond to the word publicly can do so. So let's pray for a few moments.